precedes this. All right, we're going to be in Ezra uh, chapter number 7. Ezra chapter number 7. And we'll read verses 1 to 10 this morning. Ezra 7, beginning in verse number 1. The Word of God says this. Now, before I start, <laughs> we're into a little bit of the genealogies here. So, my pronunciation may not be accurate, but, but I'm pretty sure that there's not many of you who know Hebrew, so we'll go with whatever I pronounce and we'll say that's what works. All right, Ezra chapter 7, verse number 1. It says, Now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Zerariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalom, the son of Zadok, the son of Atob, the son of Emariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merathioth, the son of Zethaniah, the son of Uzi, the son of Bukai, the son of Ashia, the son of Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him his, all his request according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. And there went up some of the children of the Israel and of the priests and of the Levites and the singers and the porters and the Nethanims unto Jerusalem in the seventh year of Artaxerxes the king. And he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from Jerusalem. And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Let's pause for a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you as we come to your word this morning. We thank you we've been able to sing your praises. Lord, we thank you for our children's talk this morning, for that simple illustration of truth that we cannot bear the sins uh, of this world upon ourselves, that only you could truly bear them and take them away, Lord. And Lord, we thank you that in this life it really is an issue of heart. How is our heart before you? Is it right? Is it surrendered to you that we can walk this life knowing that, yes, there's times that we fail, but that your burden is laid and your yoke is easy? And Lord, I pray that you would search our hearts this morning as we get into these verses, as we look at Ezra and the example that he sets. Lord, I pray that his example would shine through the annons of time right to our very hearts this morning. Convict us, challenge us, uplift us, Lord, whatever it is you want to say this morning will you say it and I ask Lord that you would use me and that my heart would be ready and right to be your vessel this morning to preach your word Lord you've commanded us in your word to to be ready to give an answer for the faith that lies within us for the hope that lies within us and Lord as a leader and a pastor you've told me to preach the word to be instant in season and out of season And Lord, I pray you would help me this morning to do that and to do it well. And Lord, I ask again that your spirit would move amongst us this morning. Challenge our hearts as your word speaks in your precious name. Amen. 
I want to drop a little revelation to you this morning, and I want to say there's no such thing as a shortcut. There's no such thing as a shortcut. Now, if I was to ask you what a shortcut is, what would you say? Sorry, I'll pick on you this morning. What would you say a shortcut is? Go quicker way. Right, there we go. Bang on. Anybody else got another definition for a shortcut? Get somewhere the, the quickest way. Yeah? Now, so often, how many times have you been in the car with somebody and you're in an area where you don't know the place, you're not familiar with it, and, uh, you know, you want to get from one place to another, and they're there, and they're driving, and they say, oh, I'll go a shortcut. I want to say to you, that's not a shortcut. That should be the way. Shouldn't it? If you're going to a destination and, and there's a better way to get there, and I stress the word better, and when somebody comes up with their little shortcut, it's a better way, isn't it? Because, you know, you're, how many of you here know some little roads around Stoke and you're, you're going, oh, I love this because I know a shortcut. They're all stuck in the traffic. I know a better way. But really, that should be the way. If it's a better way, it should be the way. And, and, and the thing is, in society today, where we have the term shortcut is it's not a better way. It just might seem like an easier way. And an easier way isn't always the better way. I know easy ways to get around this country. Easy ways. Just go over the fields. Easy. Is that easy? Absolutely not. Sure it's not. But it'd be quicker, wouldn't it? Sorry, I meant to say it's a quicker way. It'd be a quicker way. Just go direct, right? As the crow flies. But that's not easier, is it? No, it's not easier. It's not the best way. So, you know, we, we live in a world where, there, where there's shortcuts, but really and truly, if, if there's a better way to something, that shouldn't be a shortcut. It should be the way. And actually, the way that was the way should be the shortcut because it's not the best way to get there. Now, when we, when we think about the world today, we've got that in our minds that shortcut is just a, an easier uh, and, and quicker way to get there. It's a quicker way to get there. And, and society today is, is all around us. There's shortcuts to everything. To everything. You want to get your dream car? You don't have to save for it. Just get it on credit. You want something now and you can't afford it? Pay for it in three. It's this mentality. You know, um, we live in a world, we talked about this a few weeks ago, I think, didn't we? That, that, you know, we can remember some of us in here when there was, some of us can remember when there was no TVs, but some of us can remember when there was one and two and three channels and four channels. Some of us can remember when, whenever a film came out that you wanted to see in the cinema, you had to, if you didn't want to pay for the cinema, you had to wait for it to come to uh, the video store and then you had to go and rent it and you had to wait if they'd only had so many copies you had to wait and, and wait till you get it whereas now you sit in your home and you say I want it now give it to me now that's the mentality of the world today and everybody is looking for a shortcut not a better way just a quicker and easier way Maybe not more beneficial than uh, just easier and, and quicker. We were talking at the men's breakfast yesterday um, just about trades and, and, and tradesmen and how it's hard to get a decent tradesman today. And, and I think, Brandon, you were, you were saying about uh, your father, there was a, was a plaster, and how that um, back in, in the day, it was like a seven-year, did you say, something like that, Tra- time of training to, to perfect that skill. 
You go today, go online, you can get a, a plaster in a week course. Sign up and do it in a week. It's a shortcut. And, and you get somebody that learns to plaster in a week, you don't want them doing your house. I can tell you that now. Unless they're absolutely amazingly talented. But that's the world. It's shortcut, shortcut, shortcut. We want it easier. But there's no real thing as a shortcut when it comes to doing things the right way. You want to be a master tradesman, learn your trade. Take your time. Go through it. But we live in a world today that says you don't need to wait. You don't need to wait. You don't need to do it the best way. You can do it this way, the short way, the easy way. But those ways always make us pay in the long run. If it's finance, it's the interest. If it's a contract, it's the commitment. If it's plastering in a week, it's the failure of not getting any work afterwards because you're useless. Sometimes we just got to slow down and do things the right way. And when we get to Ezra here, we're introduced to, to Ezra, and we're going to see that he, he's a man that did things the right way. He did things the right way. He wasn't a man of, of shortcuts. He wasn't a man that took the, the easy and quickest path. He took the best path. And sometimes the best path is indeed the longest path. And we read in verse number 1 of Ezra 7, it says, Now after these things, this gives us a little time gap between the end of Ezra chapter number 6, where we left off last week, verse uh, 22, and the beginning of verse 1 of Ezra chapter 7, there's a gap in between there. That gap is, is probably approximately 60 or so years. And what's happened in that gap are the events that we read about in Esther. I kind of noted that a little bit last week. That the events in Esther uh, that have gone on there and the war that Artaxerxes uh, uh, has, has, has um, undertaken and come, come back from is all found there. If you've seen the movie 300, I don't know if you've seen that, anybody... It's Artaxerxes is, is the king that, that's attacking there. Those are the events that are happening around the book of, of Ezra. Because you remember, the Bible's not a book of stories. It's not a book of history. It's a book of religious history. So it doesn't record everything that's happened in the human race. But it is a book of religious history, and it is accurate in its chronological timeline and the events that are going on around the world. So in between these things, uh, the events of Ezra uh, or Esther sorry, have happened. And I said to you last week that chapters 1 to 6 of Ezra are effectively part 1 of what is a two-part book. Part, uh, chapters 1 to 6, Ezra is the chronicler. He's a historian, and he's the one that's putting together these accounts. So he's, he's writing retrospectively uh, in that. He's not writing from uh, his, his own uh, uh, um, first-person view that he was involved in those events particularly. Um, he's writing as one that's recording. Remember, the, the remnant came with Zerubbabel. 50,000 of them approximately came from Babylon under the hand of the, the heathen king that allowed them to go. They were going back to Jerusalem. And uh, the, the climax we got to at the end of verse 22 of chapter 6 is when the temple in Jerusalem has been completed. They, that's the climax of part 1 of the book. And Ezra is the, the, the scribe that records all that for us. When we get to part 2, 
Ezra chapter number 7, and this takes us right to the end of the book. Ezra is an active participant in the events now. You're going to see him being involved in these events, and that's why he starts to write about himself. Uh, Verse 8 tells us that uh, he came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was the seventh year of the king. And this is Ezra talking about his journey. He comes to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which is the seventh year of the king. That's the seventh year of Artaxerxes, which brings us to around 458 B.C. So from now on, we're going to be dealing with Ezra on a personal level. And he's going to be recording, first of all, his journey back to Jerusalem. And then as we get past uh, verse 10 and on, he's going to deal with how he finds the people there and what he has to deal with in the hearts of the people that he finds at Jerusalem. But like I said, we want to look at Ezra this morning and we're looking at doing things the right way because this is the way. Now, if you're a Star Wars fan, you watch... Star Wars, you've seen the Mandalorian. This is the phrase they use. This is the way. And when it comes to to the word of God, we can clearly see what the way is. God hasn't hidden it. God hasn't uh, uh, put it uh, so obscurely that only some can understand it. He's told us the way to salvation is in the Lord Jesus Christ, repentance and faith. He's told us the way of service. It's throughout Scripture. And we're going to see that Ezra sets us the right example this morning. We're going to get a glimpse of the man who's going to write and record for us the events that happen as he makes his journey to Jerusalem and what he sees there and the people he sees there. And, and, and the character of Ezra will help us see how he responds to what he sees when he arrives in Jerusalem. So let's have a look then at uh, Ezra this morning. And uh, here's what first thing we want to look at. We want to look at the line of Ezra. We want to look at the line of Ezra because this is where Ezra begins. In verses number 1 to 5, we have this genealogy that's laid out. I'm not going to read all those names again, thankfully. Um, and what I will do is that it, that it starts with Ezra and it finishes at Aaron because I can pronounce those two names. So um, he gives his, his line. And the first thing about the line is that it's a priestly line. It's a priestly line. You should recognize certainly Aaron's name in there, uh, Eleazar's name, uh, and possibly Phineas's name. And, and you may not be familiar with the, the other names. And, but this is an account of, of the, the priests, high priests of uh, Israel. It's not a full account. Because Ezra's only writing from his perspective in 1 Chronicles. You'll see another list there. And uh, there are some uh, differences. But remember, Ezra's writing according to his context. He's writing what he wants the people to know. And what they need to know. He's not writing anything more. Sometimes we get to the word of God and say, why hasn't God put that in there? Because we don't need to know that in there. That's the simple answer. God knows what he's doing and he's put in where he's put in because Ezra's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. So he hasn't left out some of those names in the priestly line because he's just forgotten. It's because what we need to know and what Ezra needed to convey and what God wanted to be conveyed was conveyed and we have what we have because God wanted it there. That's the simple answer. It's not a contradiction. It's not a mistake. It's just what God wanted to write with Ezra at that time. Don't get bogged down in this nonsense. Don't get bogged down in this nonsense. People come on and say, oh, contradictions in the Bible. And, and automatically you want to go and defend that. You don't need to defend that. Because God is God. God is God. Simple. 
end of. That's the foundation of your faith. He is sovereign. He is supreme. He is sufficient. He is all in all. So when somebody comes along to you and says, oh, there's a contradiction, or you say something that maybe you haven't looked at before, and your heart says, oh, no, don't do that. Say, I know God has got this, because he's God. Go into your research if you want to rebut, but it's always there. It's always there. Never doubt the word of God. He puts what he puts because he wants, he wants to put in his word what he wants to put in his word. And it's exactly what we need. No more than what we need. No less than what we need. It's everything we need. That's the sovereignty of God. Stand upon that. Don't let anybody shake you in that because they will try. So Ezra writes about his priestly line, and this is where he begins. And he begins because he's setting out his credentials. This is no different to what the Apostle Paul does in the New Testament. Because Paul writes at times, and he has to affirm his apostleship to to give him some form of of credibility. So Ezra, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he, he, he writes down and he brings his line back. Now there's some debate amongst scholars whether Ezra was actually ever held the office of high priest. Some will say he did. Some will say he didn't. Scripture is silent on it. Scripture is silent on it. Therefore, we cannot be dogmatic about it. We cannot say he was a high priest for definite. But what we can say for definite, without a shadow of a doubt, was that he was a priestly man. And that's the important thing. And and during the time of of, um, Israel's history, when you look from Eli to Solomon, you'll find that there are people appear doing priestly duties that have no right to do the duties that they're doing. They come from a a lesser junior family member of of Aaron. And they're ending up forcing themselves into places that they have no right to be. Ezra is lying down that, that he has the right priestly line to be about God's work. He's not an imposter. He's not forcing himself in. He is part of that line. And so not only was it a priestly line, it was a prominent line. Because one of the names that's mentioned there in in, uh, Ezra 7 verse 5 is uh, Phineas. And you may or may not know uh, about Phineas, but we're going to have a look at him this morning. We're going to have a look, and if you can turn to Numbers chapter 25. There are covenants in the Bible, and you know we looked at some of these before, and they're unconditional and conditional covenants. Uh, the forgotten covenant is the one that's given to Phineas. We're going to have a look at this, and we're going to explain it because you might want to know what, what, what's going on here, but let, let's look at Phineas, because this line that was mentioned, this priestly line, it was a prominent line. You know, the, These people had history within Israel of being zealous for the Word of God. Numbers 25 and verse number 1. We'll read all the way down to verse 13 uh, for context here. But here we read in Numbers 25 verse 1. It says, And Israel abode in Shittim, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. And they called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods. And the people did eat and bowed down to their gods. Notice the slide of immorality there. Hordom with the daughters of Moab. The result of that, they called people onto the sacrifices of their gods. People did eat and bow down to their gods. And Israel joined himself on the Baal. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Take all the heads of the people and hang them up before the Lord against the sun. 
that the fierce anger of the Lord may be turned away from Israel. And Moses said unto the judges of Israel, Slay you every one of his men that were joined unto Baal Peor. And behold, one of the children of Israel came and brought unto his brethren a Midianitish woman in the sight of Moses and in the sight of the congregation. This is outright rebellion. Outright rebellion against God and against what's been said. And it's brazen. It's right, it's in the sight of Moses, the man who represented the nation, the man who was God's chosen vessel to lead the people out of Egypt. And he he, he brandishes this uh, pagan woman before Moses in the sight of all the congregation of the children of Israel. Outright disobedience and rebellion against Jehovah Verse 7, And when Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, saw it, he rose up from among the congregation and took a javelin in his hand, and he went after the man of Israel into the tent and thrust both of them through, the man of Israel and the woman through her belly, so the plague was stayed from the children of Israel. You may say that's pretty barbaric. Not as barbaric as standing before your God and brazenly mocking him. Death was deserved for these people. Verse 10. Verse 9, sorry. And those that died in the plague were twenty and four thousand. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Now this is the word of God. Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, have turned my wrath away from the children of Israel, while he was zealous for my sake among them, that I consume not the children of Israel in my jealousy. Wherefore say, Behold, I give unto him my covenant of peace, and he shall have it and his seat after him, even the covenant of our everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made an atonement for the children of Israel. This line that Ezra connects back to in Phineas particularly was zealous for the word of God and the name of God. And when these people came and they blasphemed that, when they rebelled against that, uh, Phineas wouldn't have it. The honor of God was, was far more important than any human life. And God blessed Phineas for that. He turned his wrath away from the people. And he gave to Phineas an everlasting priesthood. And you might say, those of the, the, that have looked at this, well, Surely the Aaronic priesthood is, is, is done away with when Christ comes to rule and reign because he's a priest forever after uh, Melchizedek, the Melchizedekian order. And that's the everlasting priesthood. And that's the only priesthood that could atone for sin full and finally. And you may look at this verse 13 and, and say, well, what's the everlasting priesthood that's promised to Phineas? Well, there is going to be one day a, a temple on this earth, not built by man's hands, but by God himself, called the Millennial Temple. And in that temple, the things of the the law will be practiced ceremonially, not for atoning of sin, but just for a reminder of the worship and praise for God. When you look at the Levitical offerings, they're they're into two categories, uh, you know, peace with God and fellowship with God. 
And, and that's going to be taken care of during the millennial temple, during the kingdom. What priests are going to do that? It's going to be those after the line of Phineas, because there's an everlasting covenant that's given to him. So Ezra, he's from a priestly line, he's from a prominent line, no doubt about it, a line that had a zeal for the Lord, and Phineas encapsulates that. And so what I'm saying to you this morning is that that Ezra had the right line. He was of the right stock. And the application for us this morning is that if we're to be about God's work, we need to be from the right family line. We need to be from the priestly line. Now, it's not the priestly line of Aaron. It's not the priestly line of Phineas, but it's of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What do I mean by this? I mean simply this. If you're not born again... Saved by grace through faith, then you do not belong to the right line to do anything for God at all. You're disqualified from service of the Lord because you are not of the right line. The good news is that there are no other entry requirements other than simple faith and the death, burial, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting that he paid for your sins, sins that we've looked at that we couldn't pay for ourselves, we couldn't carry. He has done it. That's the great transaction. And then it's our choice. Do we choose him or do we choose our own lives? If we choose him, we come to him in repentance and faith. He makes us a new creation, a new creature. That's why we call it born again. And then we enter into the right line to serve the Lord. We don't have to be qualified in any other way. Each and every person can come and serve the Lord Jesus Christ and be part of a royal priesthood. What an amazing blessing that is that the Lord uh, offers upon us. Not only does he save us, but he puts us in the right family line that we might be his servants to be used by him. And what a privilege that is. So Ezra's he's got the right line. Secondly, I want to say to you that he's got the right life as we look at the life of Ezra. So we've looked at the line of Ezra. Now we're going to have a look at the life of Ezra. Look at verse 6 of Ezra 7. It says, This Ezra went up from Babylon, and he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses. So it says there that uh, Ezra was a ready scribe. So here's the first thing from Ezra's life that we want to pick up out. It was a prepared life. It was a prepared life. That word ready in the Hebrew is maher. It means to be skillful, experienced, in a sense showing a skill or knowledge in an area. But it's also translated as diligent many times in the Old Testament. So Proverbs 22 verse 29 says this, Seest thou a man diligent in his business, he shall stand before kings. So really what it says about Ezra is that he was a prepared man. He was a diligent man. He's a man that had done his work. He was a ready scribe. He just wasn't a scribe. He was a ready scribe. He was skilled. He was diligent. He had put the groundwork in. It means that he was a skillful handler of the word of God. He was a ready scribe in the law of the Lord. In the word of God. He was prepared when it came to do the work and will of God. Because he had put the work in to be in the place where God could use him. 
Salvation is a free gift of grace, absolutely. There's nothing we can do in and of ourselves to earn that. But when it comes to serving the Lord, there is stuff that we can do. And it doesn't do anything with the outward. This is the inward. How do we prepare our hearts for what God wants us to do? Ezra was a man that was prepared and he was a skillful handler. And, and you know, the New Testament tells us to do the same. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, study to show thyself approved. That word study is, is to be diligent. It's the same type of thought. Be ready. Do your work. Put the effort in. So that when you stand before God, you won't be ashamed. You won't be ashamed. So leaders, elders in churches are to be ready scribes. But there's an exhortation for the congregation to be ready scribes and to to push yourself on a little bit more. Do not be happy with where you are in the Lord. Nobody should ever be content with where they are in the Lord. They should always want more of him. Why would you not want more of him? He is the eternal God. He is never ending. There is never a point where you can get all of him. Because he's eternal. There's more to know. There's a deeper relationship to have. I said on Wednesday night as we were going through Romans to the folks that your, your reach for God should always extend past your grasp of God. Your reach for God should always extend past your grasp of God. So many believers just are content with just God save me and and that's all. And that's beautiful. That's beautiful. I'm not knocking that. But there's so much more to know of him. And there's so much more that he wants to show you. And God will never give you more illumination if you're not acting upon that which what he's already given you. There's no shortcut. There's no quick way to get to the full relationship with God. It begins with working for God and serving him and loving him and taking the small steps to go from the milk to the meat and wanting more of him and desiring more of him and then he'll give you more. He has an endless supply of himself for the believer, but we've, we've settled We've settled in a place where we're content with what we know. We're content with the relationship we have. There's always more to be had of God. Sometimes that takes the prepared life where we search the word. We're a ready scribe. And Ezra's life, it was a prepared one. And because it was a prepared one, it was also a prospered one. Notice there at the end of uh, that uh, verse 6, it says, When Ezra went up from Babylon, he was a ready scribe in the law of Moses, which the Lord God of Israel had given. And the king granted him all his requests according to the hand of the Lord his God upon him. So he was prepared, Ezra. His life was prepared, but his life was prospered. Not because of anything he did, but because he was in the right place. His heart was right. His, his life was right before the Lord. And then the Lord blessed him in the work of God. He blessed him. 
And Ezra recognizes this. He says that, uh, remember this is Ezra writing this, he says that, that the king had granted him his request according to the hand of the Lord. Ezra knew it wasn't anything that he had earned. It was just simply he had been a prepared man, he'd been a ready scribe, his life was right, and then the Lord prospered him because the Lord had a work for him. Verse 9, Ezra once again goes back and says, uh, For in the first day of the first month he began to go up into Babylon, and from the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem, according to the good hand of his God upon him. So Ezra, at the start of his journey and the end of his journey to Jerusalem, he's remindful to thank the Lord for what he's doing. It's the Lord's hand that is upon him. And we would do well to acknowledge that any successes that we have in life in the Lord's work is because of the Lord's hand. It is not because of us. Our job is simply to be ready, to be prepared, And then watch as the Lord uses us. Not because of our skills and ability, because of his glory and his majesty and his sovereignty. He'll use us and he'll prosper us in that work. God does not set us up to fail. He doesn't. The believer snatches defeat from the jaws of victory. God has given us what we need. If he's called you to something, he will give you what you need to do that if you are prepared. And if you are prepared, you will be prospered in that work. No doubt about it. The reason we fail, that we don't go on and do what the Lord wants us to do, or we try something, we fail something, is number one, we do it in our own strength. We do it in the flesh. And number two, that we were never really prepared. We were never really ready to do what God had for us. Ezra's life was a prepared life and it was a prospered life. So we've looked at his life, we've looked at his line, and finally I want to look at the lesson of Ezra. Look at verse 8 of Ezra. We're going to have a look at the lesson of Ezra. Verse 8, Ezra 7. It says, He came to Jerusalem in the fifth month, which was in the seventh year of the king. For upon the first day of the first month he began to go up from Babylon. On the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his Lord upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So Ezra has a lesson for us. First of all, it's a practical lesson. It's a practical lesson. Simply this, that, that, that um, with the preparation there must come some action. There must come some action. Yes, we prepare our hearts, but we must be prepared to do. Not simply to learn, not simply to take in, not simply to just hold God and everything we know about him for ourselves. There has to come action from that. And that's what Ezra does. He says he get up and he went. And sometimes we've just got to get up and go. We've got to be about God's work and, and just do it. Notice this, and this thought struck me as one that can procrastinate at times. It says on the, this is verse 9, it says, From the first day of the first month began he to go up from Babylon. And I find that interesting, just that little thought that it was the first day of the first month. So first month of the year, first day of the year, he went. And I thought about our lives and I wonder if we were in that place. And, and you know, God had, had, had was pointing us and leading us to do something for him. I wonder would we get up and do it on the first day that we could? Or for us, would it be the middle of the month? 
Or will we say, well, well, I know what we need to do, but we'll do it at the end of the month. And then the end of the month becomes two months, and three months, and four months. And next thing you know, a year's passed. And, and this, this burning that the Lord put in your heart to serve him in this ministry or whatever it may be, you've let it pass you by. Here's the message, the practical message from Ezra. If God is telling you to go, go. If God opens the door, walk through it. Do it on the first day of the first month. Do it today. Don't let it wait. Be about God's work. And Ezra's practical lesson is just be a part of it. Get involved in it. Do it and do it now. Now, doing it and doing it now doesn't negate preparation. That could be part of your preparation. But we've got to do things in the Lord's time and not our own time. Let's do it in the first day of the first month and not the last day of the last month. So he's a practical lesson. Then, then here in verse 10, there's a personal lesson. It says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgment. Ezra had prepared his heart to seek God's word and to do God's will. And this is the battle. This is the battle. What are we to do with the lives that God has given us? Ezra sets this personal lesson for us that in the battle of man versus God, God must win. God must win. We must give ourselves over to him, to trust him. And that means dying to self. That means the self wants to do things in the last day of the month. God wants us to do his things on the first day of the month. But that's a battle. That's a battle. Oh, I don't have time. Oh, I'm too busy. Oh, this or that. It's a battle. And that's a simple truth. But how do we win that battle? We have to get our hearts right. Our hearts have to be prepared. You cannot go and do the work without the heart being right. If you do that, it will fail. It will fall. It's in the flesh. It doesn't matter how good it is. The heart has to be right. Because when the heart's right before the Lord, when we're walking in his word and we're walking in his will, it's his work. We're prepared and we will be prospered in that. Because it's God's work and not ours. That word prepared there is translated elsewhere in the scriptures as established. Proverbs 4 verse 26 says, Ponder the path of thy feet and let all thy ways be established. Ezra's personal lesson to us is prepare our hearts. What was his heart prepared to do? It was prepared to seek, to do, and to teach. Ezra, verse 10, chapter 7, had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it, and to teach it. That's the divine order. Seek, do, teach. Seek, do, teach. Not teach and then seek. Not teach and then do. Teaching comes last. First of all, personally seek God and his word. And when you seek it, do it. And when you've done it, teach others about it. 
Don't teach others when you're not doing what the Lord has told you to do. That's one of the prerequisites. You want to be in Sunday school, you want to teach that stuff, you need to be doing that stuff before you can ever teach others. It's not do as I say, not do as I do. You have to have a life that holds up to these three principles in the divine order if you're going to be doing the work of the Lord. How do we get to that place? We get our hearts right. That's where it starts. And that's the lesson that Ezra shows us this morning. The line of Ezra was right. The life of Ezra was right. And then the work that he did was right. And that's the lesson that Ezra teaches us this morning. You know the name Ezra means help? It's a short and firm uh, form from Azariah, which means the Lord is my helper or my keeper. And, and that's the success that Ezra had. And he recognized that, that the Lord was his keeper. And the Lord is our keeper. He's our defender. We, we, we can... We can cry upon him we can reach to him to do what we need to do we can say with the author of hebrews that we can say boldly the lord is my helper i will not fear what man shall do unto me and and that's what we can say and if we're born again this morning if we're here we're like Ezra, we're off the right line there's that's that's settled christ has settled that so if you know him as savior you're of the right line you can't use that as an excuse to disqualify you from the work of god that is your privilege in the lord jesus christ you're of the right line but not everybody's got their life right you have the privilege that comes from the line but is your life right is your heart prepared for the work of God. Are you ready, scribe? Ready, Lord, to do what you want. And I'm ready because I'm in the right place with you, Lord. I have a relationship with you. I know you. I love you. I want to be used of you. I want to know more of you. Whatever it is, Lord, I'm here. Are you ready, scribe, this morning? Are you reluctant? Are you reluctant? Or even more, are you rebellious? You're so far from God this morning that you're not even in the picture. You're of the right line, but your life's not right. I want to urge you to get your life right. Get your life prepared. Then God will prosper you. And I'm not talking financially. That may be part of it. That's God's sovereign decree. But what he will prosper you in without a shadow of a doubt is your spiritual health, your mental health, how you are and how you cope with the world. God will prosper you in that. And then the work that he has given you, the ministry that he has given you, and each and everybody has their own little ministry, their own work for God. The promises that God has said that he will ordain you into good works so you will walk in them or for all. God will prosper you in that. Get your life right before the Lord. You want to be more than just a hearer of the word. You want to be a doer of the word. Get the right life. Let's prepare our hearts. And then we learn the lesson of Ezra. We learn the divine order. That when we have our hearts right, we have the right line, we have the right life. And then we are right for the work of God. And just like Ezra prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord, to do it and to teach it, that's what we're to do as believers today. 
uh, Tony Evans writes this about Ezra, and, and I like this. And we're going to close in, the, in this, this thought, but I, I love this. He says this about Ezra. He says, a good leader, and that's what Ezra was. He was, he was a great leader. But Tony Evans says that a good leader is someone who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way as Ezra did. A good leader is someone who knows the way, goes the way, and shows the way as Ezra did. It's my prayer that each and every one of us, from me to you, would be like Ezra's. Because we all are leaders. You say, I'm not a leader. I'm not a pastor. No, no, no. You're leading somebody. You're leading somebody. Somebody sees you. Somebody will follow you. Whether it be your little ones, your family members or what. Somebody will look at your life and be influenced by it. So if you're somebody that knows the way. And if you're somebody that goes away and shows the way, others around you in your circle of influence will see that and will be influenced by that. And that's who we want to be. We want to be Ezra. Not just knowing it, but doing it. The practical Christian life lived out. If you want to reach your your children, honestly, they have to see Christ in you. Not on Sundays, but your life. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It doesn't mean that you don't lose your temper at times. That doesn't mean that you, know, you won't get in marital arguments at times. That's not it. But they want to see how you deal with that. How you come humbly and repent about that. How you say, you know, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say that. That was wrong of me. Um, I love you. People want to see Christ in you. You want to lead them to Christ. You've got to live in Christ. You've got to live in it. Good leaders. Know the way. Go the way and show the way. It's a question as we close. Do you know the way? Are you going the way? And are you showing the way to those around you? Let's pray.